in your Bibles this morning to, let me try this, the same place where you, we opened our Bibles last Sunday morning. That's really a dirty trick, isn't it? Especially to us older folks, sometimes I can't even remember what I preached last week. Or, and it's really bad when you, one of your preacher friends calls up and, you know, out of the blue and uh, four or five days has gone by and they call up and say, hey, how you doing, brother? What would you, you preach last week? <laughs> and you, you got to come up with something quick without lying. And, uh, but that's, uh, yeah, I don't know whether that's the uh, long haulers from the COVID or whether it's, I, I guess we might as well admit it's just getting old. That's probably what it is. Well, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 for just a minute. And actually, uh, this is not where our text for the message today is, but I want you to see the connection between what we spoke about last week and where we'll be at today. He said in verse 12 of chapter 12, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all of the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Now look at verse 25. He's been speaking about the various parts of the body, the eyes and the ears and so forth, and, and the importance of each one. And he says that there should be no schism in the body, that is, no divisions and so forth within the body of Christ, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all of the members rejoice with it. Now ye, now remember, he's speaking to a local visible church at Corinth. And he says, ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And look at verse number 31 as he closes this chapter. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now, if you are familiar at all with chapter number 13, in that more excellent way, he speaks about the subject of love. In fact, it is the most wonderful thing, I believe, ever written about the subject of love. And Lord willing, we'll uh, talk about that more later and perhaps even next week because uh, it would take, I remember just preaching a series on that, which was six messages to get through those few verses there in chapter number 13, but it's just so very important. Uh, last week I spoke about the one another statements in the New Testament. I just tell him, Brother Kenneth, I'm not sure how many of those I'm going to deal with. There are 12 uh, of those that I normally preach in the series, and I'm not sure how far we're going to go. I, again, next week I'll make mention of that. But I'm going to begin with the most important of all of them, and that's the subject of love. Love one another. And automatically, whenever you think about uh, the subject of love, I don't know of anything any better than 1 John chapter number 4. And I want you to notice, if you'll turn there, the precept of love. Now, 
When I talk about a precept, I mean a law, it's a rule of behavior or an action. In other words, we're talking about something that is mandatory for us Christians. It's something that is a responsibility for us to love one another. We can't be a child of God in the will of God without loving one another. In fact, it goes deeper than that, as you'll see later on. But verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. Now, remember when our Lord was questioned about, here's the question they asked Jesus, which is the great commandment in the law? And here's his answer. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart and with all of thy soul and with all of thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. So he didn't hesitate. I mean, he got right to the fact this is the first and great commandment. I was thinking this week and about a different subject altogether. But as we look at the, at the world and all of the problems and all of the difficulties that are going on, and uh, anybody can see that, that the world could and should be better than what it is. I, I mean, who wants what we've got as we see it today? The war, the crime, the, all, the list goes on and on and on. The suffering of people in third world countries and and yet our governments spend millions, probably billions of dollars in what they call their think tanks, trying to figure out, let's all get our heads together, and we're going to figure out how we can fix this problem. And they come up with ideas. And the strange thing is, whenever we talk about a, a global crisis and we talk about the economy of the nations, and, and it just kind of makes sense in one way to have a one world government. I mean, it's not working the way it is, right? We need a one world government. We need a seat of authority, a one world government, and we've got to control that so people like to eat. And so in order to control that, while we need some means of identification, forget all those credit cards and all that other stuff. You know, we can, with modern technology, we can implant a chip in a person and uh, use that and purchase whatever you want, up to whatever your limit is set by your government, of course. You see, all of that really seems to make sense no more credit cards, no more this, no more that. No. That's the scary thing about it is because that's exactly what the Bible tells us is going to take place eventually during the tribulation period, that kind of stuff I'm talking about. Well, what is the solution to all of the animosity between people? Why, why do we have wars? What would be the one thing that would settle all of this? The one thing that would settle it all is what? That first and great commandment. To love the true and the living God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. That, that's the only solution. 
And yet we know that the majority of the world is not going to take that route. The majority of the world is not interested in our God. They have their gods. So how is it that a society, a community, a family, a church, how is it that we can, that we can function in unity and harmony where, where we don't just come apart at the seams? Well, the Lord explains that. He gave the first and great commandment. He said the second is like unto the first. This is in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 and 38. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commands hang all of the law and the prophets. So... No doubt about it, these two go together like a hand in a glove. You, you have one, that then you have the other. And please don't misunderstand this because I know a few preachers that, that teach that we ought to love ourselves, that we ought to highly esteem ourselves. That's not what he's saying there. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. It is a given that people love themselves. They do that. They take care of themselves when they don't care anything about anybody else. They take care of themselves. You mark it down. They're number one in their book. Everybody else comes later. And he says, love others just like you love yourself. You take care of them as you take care of yourself. Notice, and he said, on these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. If you just wrapped all of those laws and prophecies and everything, you wrapped it all up in a neat little bundle, that's what you'd get, those two laws, those two commandments. Maybe you say, well, I, who is my neighbor? Well, if, when you get home, read over in Luke chapter number 10 about the Good Samaritan. And it makes it clear that our neighbor is anyone to whom we have an opportunity to show love. It, who, whoever it might be. It might be a beggar on the street. It might be a, a drug addict in the ghetto. It might be a member of your family that just despises you because of your stand for Christ. It can be the person that robbed you at gunpoint violated you in some horrible way. And yet we have an opportunity, as we have an opportunity, we're to show love to others. He didn't say love those that, you know, believe all of the things that you believe. He didn't say love those that behave as they ought to. We're, we're just to love others, period. And Paul is applying that there in 1 Corinthians, especially to the church. I mean, this is a, this is a hard, fast cardinal rule that we love our neighbors as ourselves. And it's as though Paul is saying to the church, you need to learn to love one another, those in your, your congregation. And my, we could go on and on reading all of the scriptures that, that has to do with this commandment that's directly related to the first commandment, which is to love God with all of our being. And the fact is, we can't love others without loving God. 
You know, there's a lot of folks who would say, well, I love God, but I don't like people. Somebody said this world would be a pretty good place to live if it wasn't for people. Well, yeah, and that includes you. We all contribute to the filth and the pollution of this world. We all have a part in that. And yet he tells us that we are to, to love one another. Look at verse 7 now, on down through verse number 10. Now just follow along here. And he tells them to love one another. But look at verse number 12. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. And his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us. Because he hath given us of his spirit. Every stream has its source. Back in Missouri, in the hills there, the Ozarks, it's a common thing to, to find springs. I can remember whenever I was a boy, there was a place called Scott Springs. And every summer, we'd love to go down to that place. There was this stream just bubbling up out, seemingly out of nowhere. But, uh, and it ran its course down through a field, and we'd follow that and, uh, and get the watercress out of that. And, for salad and finally made it way down to the creek and the creek made it way down to the river and so on and so forth but it all started back there with that spring and even so here we see the provider of love and that source the provider of love is God just as every spring has its source verse 7 says for for love is of God. And look at verse 8 and verse 16. For God is love. Now notice, he did not say that love is God. He said God is love. In other words, love is the very essence of God. To describe God, that's the essence of it. To wrap it all, think of all of his glorious attributes. That's another wonderful series to go through all of the attributes of God and to think about His, His greatness. It's just awesome to consider beyond our ability to even understand. But if we had to sum it all up in one word, John says God is love. I started writing an article and I still haven't finished it and don't know what to really say. You know, there are a lot of songs written like, Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? And, you know, why does, why does God love me? Ever think about that? Why, why would God love me? Why? Well, you know, we go through all of this. Well, he's a good God and so forth. And we go trying to figure out why God. Really, the answer is simple. It's easy. God loves us because God is love. Not love is God, but God is love. God loves all of His creation. He is the source of all of it. And we need to understand that because here in verse 9 and 10, He's describing how God's love was manifested to us. And this was manifested, made known, revealed the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son 
to be the propitiation for our sins. God is love, and here we see the demonstration, the manifestation of God's love for us. He loved us, and He sent His Son. You could say that God Himself wrapped Himself in a robe of flesh and came into this world as a babe in Bethlehem's manger. He became the only perfect man who has ever lived. God condescended from heaven down to earth. And I mentioned the fact that God is the provider of love because it's futile for you and I to even think about loving others until, until we love God. Oh, you say, well, I don't, I don't care anything about your God, but I sure do love people. You don't love people in the truest sense of the word. You see, there are several different words that are translated into the English word love. We can talk about that at a different time. But whenever you read that word agape, that's the God kind of love. That God so loved agape. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You can't love anyone. Really love them in the truest sense until you're born again. How many, how many of you were saved after you got married? Uh, that, that's the way it was with me. And, and I see several of you. Is after you got married, you say, do you know you did not love your wife in the truest sense of the word? Oh, you loved her with that, maybe we'll call it a natural kind of love, that attraction. You loved her the best that you could according to human values but not in the truest sense of the word. Because that kind of love, this kind of love we're talking about, when Paul said, love one another, this kind of love can only come from God. And the only way we receive that love is what? By being born again. Until we are born again, we don't really know anything about the greatness of God's love. And we certainly don't have the ability to love others. It's only by His power that we are enabled to love God. And he explains that beginning in verse number 8, and, and I'm not going to read all of the verses, or verse 11 rather, because it's in verse 11 where he turns our attention here to God's love, from God's love to our love. Look at it again. Beloved, if God so loved us, that's what he's been talking about. God lo loves us. He gave his son. Notice, we ought also to love one another. This is just, again, one of many verses that speak about this subject as to our responsibility to love others. It's, it, of all of our duties, this is our number one responsibility in regards to other people. And if we fail here... We have failed altogether. That's what Paul indicated back in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. Oh, they were so thrilled by the spiritual gifts that God had imparted to them. Well, some even had the gift of speaking in other languages. Some had the gift of prophecy. They didn't, you know, they, they could just prophesy what God was going to do. They had that gift, and on and on the list goes. And yet, 
Paul said, without love, you're as sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. You're just music. You're just noise. You're, you're nothing without love. And that's the bottom line for all of us, folks. We're just a bunch of nothing without real, true, genuine love. And regardless of what else we do, we can become a Bible scholar, so to speak. We can study the Bible and be able to answer all of those difficult questions. We can write books about the Bible, sing about the Lord, and be extremely talented in that area. And we can do all of those things. Hard worker at the church. But we fail all together if we don't love one another. It begins with loving God, being born of God, loving one another as God loves us. He said in Romans 13, 8, He that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now think about that. Whenever he talks about the law, he's not speaking about a particular law. He's talking about the entirety of the law as it's all summed up. We think about all of those commandments and responsibilities that we have toward God. He said it's all summed up in this God kind of love. That's the one thing above everything. That if we are successful when it comes to drawing on the resource of God and imparting that love to others, we are success if we don't have a penny in the bank. We are success if nobody knows our name. We are success if we never graduate from college. Just being able to love one another makes us successful in God's sight. Love satisfies our obligations because it reaches out and helps rather than hurting others. We do it out of compassion, not because we're commanded. Now, we are commanded to love God. That's where it starts. But where it leads is that because we love God, that we love others. But how would you like it if uh, you ladies ask your husband, do you love me? And he said, well, duh, yeah, I've got to. God commanded it. I don't have any choice. I've got to love you. Nothing romantic about that. No, no, look, we don't love others just because we are commanded to. It is out of the compassion that is placed in our heart by the Lord. And, and this word, another, now look at verse number 8 again there in Romans. And I want you to notice something that's very important about this. He that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now we're talking about this genuine, real love, but look at the word another. Because the strange thing is, this word is different than all of the other words that are translated one another. It's different. Whenever he says love one another, if you're speaking to a church, love one another, all those in the church, love one another in your family, we're to, we're to love others. But this particular Greek word translated into the English here means to love another or others that are of a different kind, different from you, not like you. 
And that's so important because this is where we have most of our problem, isn't it? That of demonstrating real, genuine, heartfelt love to others because they're different. You know, I've got some dear pastor friends that you would think they must hate the Methodists. Now, I'm not saying they do, but I'm talking about the, some of the terminology they use and the way they talk about them. I believe there's some born-again Methodist people. I don't know about you. They're wrong in a whole bunch of stuff, but they're, I believe Wesley was truly converted. Might shock you, but I believe there's some saved Presbyterians. There's not anyone saved, whether they're Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Catholic, or whatever they are, if they're depending on anything other than the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to save them. None of them. But I'm saying that sometimes we can get so staunch in our beliefs that and by the way, we ought to be. Whenever we talk about the historical Baptist beliefs, we are Baptists for a reason. And no, we're not taking the name off of the sign as long as I've got anything to say about it. We're Baptists for a reason. But you might have a next door neighbor that's, they've never even, all of these doctrines that we so, hold so dear, they don't, they don't, they've never heard anything about that. They come to Lakeway and they hear me or Brother Kenneth say, you know that you ought to use the King James Version of the Bible. That, that's all we use here. There's some folks, they don't understand that. They've never, they've never had a preacher ever explain to them why. Just any old version's good to them. Now I'm saying all of that for a reason, and that is that we've got to love people that are different. Loving people doesn't mean that we are compromising what we believe. It doesn't mean that we give in to their desires and so forth. But it means that we have an obligation to love those that are different regardless of their color, regardless of their class, or their culture, or their conduct. There are people that are really embittered about the uh, Hispanic people coming into America. Now, I'm, in, I'm troubled deeply by the fact of those that come in illegally. It has nothing to do with them being Hispanic whatsoever. Though, who could blame them for wanting to come to America? But I'm saying that if we're not careful, we'll let our disdain for our government not doing anything and our disdain for those that are bringing illegal drugs up into our country color our thinking about those poor immigrants that come in legally. You're no better than they are. I'm no better than they are. They're, they're people, the color of their skin, their culture. Now, I'm dealing with this because this is a, an area of difficulty for so many people today that, well, you know, they don't 
dot all of their I's and cross all of their T's just like I do. And so consequently, uh, I just keep them at arm's length. What do you reckon you'll ever be able to help them spiritually holding them out there? Of course not. So here he's speaking about the practice of love. It's commanded, verse 11. Now verse 12 and 13. Notice that it's not just commanded, it's convincing. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and His love is perfected in us. Hereby, here's the key, that word John uses over and over. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us because He hath given us of His Spirit. Oh, you hear people say, well, you can't really know what you're going to heaven or not. You can't really be sure you're saved. Well, I don't know what Bible you're reading from, but it's pretty clear in my Bible that I can know that I'm saved. The Bible says the Spirit of God bears witness with my spirit that, that I'm a child of God. And notice what he says again, if we love one another... I'm talking about loving one another, this God kind of love, sacrificial kind of love. Then we dwell in Him and He in us because why? Because He hath given us His Spirit and we have seen and notice and testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If we love God, notice there are going to be signs of salvation. You say, well, no, people, you just can't really know if you're saved or not. You know, if I'm driving down the road and I see some fellow laying over in the ditch, and I think, well, you know, that fellow might need help, and I get out, and there's no pulse, he's not breathing, and I stay there and I check it for a while, I can pretty, I can pretty well tell after looking at all of the evidence there, he's dead. There are no signs of life whatsoever. Where there's life, whether it's physical or spiritual or whatever, there are going to be certain signs. And as you go through this little letter of 1 John over and over and over again, he keeps putting those signs up. Here is evidence of salvation. It's convincing. It's convincing not only not only to us. Somebody says, "Well, I just I, I'm, I just had these doubts." Well, of course you do. Satan can do anything to try to get you to doubt. But the one thing you can be sure of is if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, God has saved you, and He will enable you. Um, if it's raining outside. If I look out there, and I, I can't see above the buildings out yonder, but if I see the rain coming down, I don't have to go out there and look up to see if there are any clouds in the sky. They're up there. They're up there. The rain is evidence that there are clouds in the sky. And whenever it comes to this matter of loving one another, notice, and it's not only given us the assurance of the fact but he tells us that we testify to others. We become a, a living testimony to others as to the reality of Christ. Because not only will we know, but there will be some evidence that as others look at us. Remember, 
He said to his disciples, Hereby you can know that you're my disciple. How? In that you have love one for another. Aren't you glad that we have a no-so salvation? Aren't you glad that God can enable us to live in such a way that others take notice? That's why we preachers keep saying, you are the only Bible that some people will ever read. Yeah. They'll never pick up the Bible and read it, but they're reading you. And the thing of it is, they make judgments about Jesus based on what they see in those that call themselves Christians. Now look at the pinnacle of love. Look at verse number 14. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So do you want to know what love is? You want to know how to describe love? Well, let me tell you. If you want a definition of love, you have to look somewhere other than in the dictionary. It's not there. It can mean everything or as in tennis, nothing. You you make it mean anything you want. But if we want to know what love is, the very pinnacle of love, the purest love possible, there you have it, that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. There is no greater degree of love than the fact that God gave His very best for sinful man, His perfect Son for those of us that are imperfect in so many ways. You can't improve on that definition. That's why he said, for God is love. That, that, that's it. If you know me very well, you almost know what I'm going to say next. Seeing that we have the responsibility to love one another, you look around the room, I have a responsibility to every person in this building. Every one of them. And sometimes we struggle because we let things bother us to the extent that we fail to demonstrate love as we, as we should. And we've just seen that the source, the spring of real true love is what? The Lord. He's the very pinnacle of love. He's the means of love. He's the only way that we can love. And I said, if you know me very well, you know what I'm going to say, Hebrews 12, 2. This is what we've got to do continually. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to tell you, if we don't do that every day, we're going to fall flat on our face. I'm talking about even with people that we love dearly. We won't treat them lovingly. And you and I both know that happens. There are sometimes you love your spouse more than anybody on this earth, but there's sometimes we get angry or whatever and our treatment is not in a loving, loving way. 
looking unto Jesus, considering the price that he paid on the cross, and the very next verse, he says what? Consider him. Let me ask you, do you make it a practice to consider him every day? Consider him, look unto him, think about him, meditate upon him. Just saturate your soul with, by thinking about the greatness of the sacrifice that he made. Now look at verse 15 where he speaks about this possibility. Now the propensity to love that after we're saved, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Now, that tells me that love is not natural for man. It's just not there naturally. That's why I made this statement and asked how many of you were saved after you got married. It's not natural for us to have this kind of love. This kind of love comes only from God. Verse 15, notice here, when God dwells within us, and nothing happens until, notice, we confess that Jesus is the Son of God. We, and that brings about the new birth, and the new birth brings with it a new nature. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. In other words, the unnatural now becomes natural after we are saved. Oh, I know none of us are perfect. We haven't got there yet. But we have that desire to be more loving to people. We, we're not perfect, but we want to be. And it's a, something that God puts in our heart whenever we're saved. It's one of the evidences that we truly have received Christ as our Savior and that now we have this new nature that wants to do what's right. Because until the moment you trust Christ as your Savior, all you're thinking about is just you. What will make you happy? I want to wrap it up now. Notice the product of love. And there's two things about this beginning in verse 17 and 18. There's confidence concerning judgment. Aren't you glad of that? Because one of these days you say, well, I've already been saved. I don't have to worry about being judged by the Lord. Well, don't be too sure about that. My Bible talks about the judgment seat of Christ. This is not to determine whether you're saved or not. It's to give out the rewards for the things that we've done. And I don't know about you, but whenever I stand before him and give an account for the life that, that I've lived, I, I want to hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Look at verse 17 again. Here in his love, our love. Here in his our love made perfect. Brought to completion, that is, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in the world. There is, notice, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. That's, he hasn't reached the place of maturity in love as he should. Notice it gives us boldness in the day of judgment. God's love to us and through us 
removes the fear of judgment. And that gives us a peace that we can put our head on the pillow at night and know in our heart, Lord, I've done my very best to do your will today. I made some mistakes along the way, and Lord, I've asked you to forgive me of those, but I've really tried to do my best. There is a peace in knowing, in knowing that, that we've done what he commanded. Confidence in the judgment, but when you get down to the last couple of verses, there's compassion toward others. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. And if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a what? He's a liar. You see, there are those who pretend that they love others when they don't. And he said, if a person says they love God, but they hate others, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. Question. We need to each one ask ourselves, what is my attitude toward others saying to people? What is my attitude saying? You know, it's evident that having a right relationship with other people begins with me, not them. Oh, you, you're thinking of some situation, maybe you think, well, if they would only apologize, they might never apologize. He said, but if only they would make things right, they, they stole something from me, and if they'd just give it back, we, we could put this behind us and go on. They might never do that. Oh, if they would just do what they ought to do. Yeah, but they might never do that. If we want a right relationship with other people, it starts with us, not with them, because they might never change. And listen, unless we show unto them the love of Christ, there's a good chance they won't ever change. Did the Bible say we overcome evil with what? Good. We don't come evil by lecturing people on what they ought to do. That, that just doesn't work. It's by doing good, and the best thing we can do is what? To love. To love others. Someone said... I can change no other person by my direct actions. But when I change, others tend to change in reaction to me. And that's true. And it's why the Bible says overcome evil with good. You say, well, preacher, I've tried. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. We are so very... Actually, we're just totally dependent. I've heard people talk about Christians in a scornful way, say, that, yeah, Christianity, that's just a crutch for 
people, crippled people to walk on. That's, they need that to prop them up. I don't know how to respond to that except to say, no, it's more like an iron lung. You can't live without it. Back in the days of polio, I had some friends that died of polio, and before they died, they put them in what called an iron lung. We, t we are totally dependent because it's never about what we do. It's always what He does through us. He's the agent of change in our life. But if we want to be at our best in loving others, it doesn't start with them showing favor to you. It starts with you loving them. I pray and God will help each one of us and I'm so proud of this church for the love that I see demonstrated over and over and over. Toward the, not just toward the pastors, but toward its members. I thank God for that. But I don't know about you, but I still have, I still have problems in my life being as loving as I ought to be toward ever, people in general. Family members. It's a struggle every day. Sometimes I have to remind myself, no, you can't say that. You can't do that. That won't help. That's going to make things worse. Am I the only one here that has any kind of problems like that? Oh, maybe you might ought to run me off. I don't know. I, I'm so short of perfection that it's, I'm embarrassed by it. But the solution... For any family, any church, any relationship is love. And you're going to get it in one place, and that's Jesus. Let's all stand together. Brother David comes and our musicians. Brother Kenneth is here. If you're here today and you, as Brother John prayed earlier, please. You could hear the plea in his voice. Please don't leave this place today without knowing for certain that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. That would be the biggest mistake you could ever make. Don't do that. You say, well, preacher, I just don't know what to do. Believe. Remember the, the jailer said to Paul, I, how can I be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved. Just trust Jesus. You can do that right where you are, right now, here this morning. And then we'd sure like it if you'd come and tell us about it because we want to rejoice with you. Always saying, Brother David.